0: Let's pray before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, our anchor, who has brought us into the presence of God and has anchored us there with you forever. Help us as we study Hebrews 7. Help us to understand. Help us to see your glory, to have confidence in you, and confidence to approach your throne through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, keep me from error. Help us to accurately divide your word. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Hebrews 7. Hebrews is hard. Right? Hebrews is hard. It's good, but hard. This book... While a great encouragement, and I know you ladies have been encouraged, what a great encouragement it is, but it is filled with some deep and sometimes difficult to understand teachings. Hebrews has stretched our minds and it's convicted our hearts, but we have had to put in some extra work in our studies to understand it. The Hebrew congregation also struggled with understanding some of these deeper and more difficult truths, and some of them were spiritually dull and at risk of drifting. Because right doctrine, though, leads to right living, the preacher frequently exhorts his congregation to internal consideration, meditation, and introspection. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Chapter 2, verse 1. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Chapter 3, verse 1. See to it, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, let us fear. Chapter 4, verse 1. Show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, chapter 6, verse 11. Hold fast the confession of our hope, chapter 10, verse 23. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, chapter 10, verse 24. Fix your eyes on Jesus, chapter 12, verse 2. And consider him, chapter 12, verse 3. Remember your leaders, considering the result of their conduct. Chapter 13, verse 7. The preacher knew his congregation's spiritual and mental weakness and their need for these profound truths, which would propel them on to greater maturity. So he urges them, bear with or listen to this word of exhortation. Chapter 13, verse 22. And so we must do the same. He exhorts us to consider Christ. And ladies, for those of you who keep pressing on in your lessons, in your study, even when they're difficult, when you're listening to sermons and you're opening study notes and commentaries, be encouraged because through your hard work, you are obeying the heart of this book's exhortation Consider Jesus. Listen to the preacher as he continues to emphasize his thesis that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses and Joshua. He offers a better rest, and he's better than the entire Levitical system, which is summed up in many ways in the work of the priesthood. Jesus is the priest we need. Hebrews 1.3 taught us that once our high priest accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Hebrews 2, we saw the necessity of the dual nature of Jesus' priestly mediation. According to Hebrews 2.14-18, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. The high priest of our confession, chapter 3, verse 1, has passed through the heavens and he ministers before the Father on our behalf. He is exalted above all things, yet can sympathize with our weakness. So we know that when we draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace and help in time of need, we know we can draw near to him, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. If you remember, in chapter 5, we were introduced to a person named Melchizedek. We saw in 5.11 that concerning him, the preacher had much to say, but his listeners were dull of hearing. Instead then of explaining Melchizedek's significance, he spent chapter 6 warning his congregation against apostasy and encouraging them to instead imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, with Abraham being the example of that type of faith. But now, in chapter 7, we get to return to the main theme of his sermon. It's time to take a deep dive into the nature of our Lord's priesthood. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed, and one which enters within the veil where a forerunner has entered for us, Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Today, We're going to look at five truths that demonstrate that Jesus is the high priest we need so that we might draw near to God with confidence. Jesus is the high priest we need first because he is a superior high priest according to a better order. Second, he is a perfect high priest who brings a better hope. Third, he is a divinely confirmed high priest who guarantees a better covenant. Fourth, he is a permanent high priest who performs a better ministry. And fifth, he is a consummate high priest who accomplished a better work. You can reference these on your lesson, on the back of the lesson that you did in chapter 7. But I will repeat them as we go throughout our lecture. We need a priest. The need for priesthood began in the garden when Adam sinned against God. At that moment, a chasm opened between sinful mankind and a holy God. To bridge that gap, we needed someone who could stand between man and God, creating peace. Someone who could offer sacrifice for forgiveness of sins and intercede for us before God. Someone who could make us acceptable to God. Someone who could bring God to us and us to God. In order for God to dwell with his people Israel, he instituted the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system. It was good, and it was a blessing from God for his people, but it could only go so far. God dwelled with his people like he promised, but because of God's holiness, there was still a necessary separation. The priesthood The tabernacle, the ordinances, the sacrifices, they could not bring the worshiper all the way to God because they were weak, inefficient, and temporary. They were only types looking toward the antitype, the fulfillment. The whole Levitical system was a copy of the real deal of Jesus himself. The Hebrews, they were tempted to return to what was familiar, and the preacher now seeks to convince his congregation that Jesus is better. Jesus is what they need. Jesus is who they need. And to return to the shadows of Judaism is to forfeit the substance of Jesus Christ. They needed a priesthood that was better than the Levitical system, and so do we. Number one, this is in our outline number one, Jesus is the high priest we need because he is a superior priest according to a better order, verses 1 through 10. So what does it mean that Jesus is a priest according to a better order? Well, you can't understand the better order unless you understand Melchizedek besides having a name that's pretty hard to pronounce, Melchizedek was a pretty obscure Old Testament figure. He's actually only mentioned twice in the whole Old Testament. But Hebrews 6.20 tells us that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So he has to be important, right? In our personal study this week, we read Genesis 14, and we saw Abraham as a warrior defeating and plundering the warring kings and rescuing his nephew Lot. As he returned from his victory, he met this Melchizedek. There's more to say regarding this event, but because you had some time this week to read Melchizedek's origin story, I won't spend time here retelling it. Instead, let's focus on its significance. Here in Hebrews, we learn that this Melchizedek prefigures Jesus. And so let's obey the command of Hebrews to consider Jesus by considering Melchizedek. Melchizedek foreshadows two important elements of Jesus' priesthood, specifically his character and the nature of his priesthood. Melchizedek, he was a real human person. But scripture reveals that his character and his station tells us something about Jesus. So how can we consider Jesus by reflecting on Melchizedek? First, verse 1 tells us that Melchizedek is a king and a priest. But if you know your Old Testament, you know that that would be unheard of. According to Old Testament Levitical law, priests were never kings And kings could never be priests. Each one was appointed by God and they held unique roles in the old covenant economy, but they never overlapped. Priests were forbidden to rule as kings, and kings were forbidden to minister as priests. But in Melchizedek, who came before the law, those two offices, those two roles, they converged. Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God and the king of Salem. Because his order bypassed the requirements for all Old Covenant priests, Melchizedek is the only one who can properly foreshadow Jesus, the ultimate future king priest who would minister on behalf of his people before God perfectly and forever. But there is more to learn by reflecting on Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not just a king priest, but according to verse 2, he was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Does that sound familiar? It should, because it points to King Jesus, who is the summit of righteousness and the wellspring of peace. Jesus is a priest who reigns. Jesus is a king who ministers, and his character is righteousness and peace. Zechariah 6.13 says, he will build the temple of Yahweh and he who will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two offices. As one pastor points out, our priest is the prince of peace, Isaiah 9.6. Our advocate with the father is Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2.1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Jesus, our King, has become to us righteousness, 1 Corinthians one thirty, And he himself is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. Jesus is our King Priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He is a King of righteousness and peace. But verse 3 has more to say about Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. The Levitical priesthood was built upon family heritage, so genealogies were of the utmost importance. But this was not the case with Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a real man, but by God's design, his story in Genesis 14 gives no hint of his genealogy. It doesn't speak about his birth and it doesn't speak about his death. He appears on the pages of Scripture as one who has no beginning and he leaves like someone who has no end. And in this way, he points toward the Son of God who also has no beginning and no end. Do you see the implication of this? Our high priest, Jesus, is a king priest of peace and righteousness, and he remains a priest forever because he has no beginning or end. What an anchor for the soul. What a comfort. Consider Melchizedek's superiority. In verse 4, we see how he was great and why he was great. Melchizedek was great because Abraham, who's arguably the most important person and greatest person in Israelite history, tithed to him. Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils of his victory to Melchizedek. Verse 5 contrasts Abraham's tithe with the tithing that was commanded under the law. The Levitical priests, they also received tithes, but there was one major difference. They were equals the Levites were tasked with collecting tithes from their brothers. They were all descended from Abraham. They were all under the law and they were all brothers, but not so, not so in the account between Abraham and Melchizedek. Not only did Abraham give tithes to Melchizedek, but Melchizedek blessed him. He blessed the one who had the promises. Abraham, who had received the promise of God and was the conduit of blessing for the entire earth was blessed by Melchizedek. And so verse 7 says without any dispute the lesser is blessed by the greater. Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God, a king of righteousness and peace, greater than Abraham, the blesser of the blesser, and greater than the Levites, because he received tithes through Abraham, and through Abraham, the Levites as well. Melchizedek was superior to Abraham, and Jesus is superior to Melchizedek. Ladies, our hearts should resound with praise when we understand the truth that our high priest is a superior priest according to a better order. You can approach your God with confidence on the basis of the character and work of this king priest. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. Our king priest, he makes peace between us and God, and he provides us with righteousness, that we need to stand before a holy God. And these truths are glorious. They're glorious. They're truths that should elevate our worship. But this wasn't that easy for the Hebrews. After all, it was God who had established the Levitical system and had given the law. The news that Jesus was a priest, according to a different and superior order, was hard to understand, and so the preacher continues to explain. The Levitical system was weak, broken, and useless. The law was good, and it did accomplish what it was designed to do, but it was incapable of accomplishing what the Hebrews needed the most. It couldn't save them, and it wasn't meant to. They needed something better, and we need something better. And ladies, we have it. We have it. We have Jesus, the perfect high priest according to a better order. Not only is Jesus according to a better order, but he brings a better hope. Number two, Jesus is the high priest you need to approach God with confidence because he's a perfect high priest who brings a better hope. Verses 11 through 19. Hebrews seven eleven says, Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? Here, in verse 11 and throughout the book of Hebrews, perfection means salvation or completion. One commentator says that in this context, it refers specifically to the making of men acceptable to God, which was the function of the priesthood. Ladies, make no mistake. Nobody at any time in all of history was saved or sanctified through the Levitical system. The priests, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, the entire system was never designed to reconcile a sinful people with a holy God. It only pointed toward what could. All sinners throughout all history have all been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints looked forward to the future redemption of Messiah, resting on the promises and hope of his coming. And New Testament believers look back at the finished work of Christ, resting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Hebrews 7 makes this point clear. The fact that a new priesthood was necessary at all means that the old covenant was frail and weak and helpless to save. And this is self-evident, right? If what was needed to make men perfect or acceptable before God was only found in the Levitical system, then Messiah would have been a Levitical priest. But he wasn't. The priest And the priesthood had to change. And as verse 12 says, a change in the priesthood requires a corresponding change in the law which supports it. This is out of necessity because if the Old Testament law was still in place, Jesus' priesthood would be illegitimate. Jesus was not qualified to be a Levitical priest because he was of the line of Judah. But... Jesus is a priest, and he's a legitimate priest because he's of the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' priesthood, according to verse 16, is not on the basis of a physical requirement like the Levitical priests, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Those priests were qualified or disqualified according to physical matters, things like ancestry and health and marriage It wasn't uncommon, ladies, to have a physically qualified priest be spiritually unqualified. And that does not bring much hope to the sinner. If your priest is spiritually unqualified, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. Jesus, on the other hand, is qualified for his ministry because of who he is inherently, which can never change. It is his indestructible life. It is his deity which qualifies him for his ministry. Jesus is the anchor of our soul because he is qualified to serve as our high priest on the basis of his deity, chapter 7, verse 16, and on the basis of his humanity, chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 5, 7 through 9. Our perfect priest is, is a dual mediator. He mediates God to us according to his deity and us to God according to his humanity. The God-man Jesus is the high priest we need. He's our perfect high priest. And verse 18 tells us he brings us a better hope. We can draw near to God because we have a perfect priest who will perfect us. We can have confidence when we draw near to God because we know Jesus makes us acceptable to God. This was great news for the Hebrews, but I can't help but wonder what might have been in their minds in that first century congregation as they considered the preacher's words. Perfection was never possible through the Levitical priesthood. There was need for another priest. The priesthood is changed. The law was changed with it. The former commandment was set aside. It was weak. It was useless. The law made nothing perfect. But wait, wasn't the law instituted by God? And now it's being set aside? If the priesthood changed and the law was set aside, how could the Hebrews know that there wouldn't one day be another priest and another law? How can we have confidence that that won't happen? What makes Jesus' priesthood superior and lasting? Why won't his priesthood just be done away with someday too? The preacher assures his listeners that Jesus is the high priest they need because his priesthood is different. It was confirmed with an oath. This is number three in our outline. Jesus is the high priest you need to approach God with confidence because he is a divinely confirmed high priest who guarantees a better covenant. Let's read verses 20 through 22 together. And inasmuch as it, Jesus' priesthood, was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much more, Jesus also has become the guarantee of a better covenant. God never made a promise that the old covenant would be forever. He instituted it, certainly, but he never designed it to last forever. He never designed for it to take away sin. He never swore an oath that the Levitical priesthood would never end. It was temporary. This doesn't mean that the old covenant was bad because it wasn't. It was good. Our pastor says it was a very good covenant, a God-given, God-ordained covenant that served its purpose for the time it was meant to be in effect. It wasn't bad, but it was imperfect. And it was imperfect in the Hebrew sense of the word. It couldn't perfect the worshiper. And remember, perfect, as it would have been understood by the Hebrews, is synonymous with salvation, with completion. The old covenant... And all its ordinances, ceremonies, and sacrifices couldn't save anyone. Something better had come, and the old was now obsolete. The old covenant was obsolete now that the new covenant had been inaugurated, and the new covenant will never be done away with. Jesus' priesthood will never end. We can be sure of this because God confirmed it with an oath. God's word, it's sure enough to stand alone, but in Psalm 110.4, the Lord emphatically swears, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn, he gave an oath. He will not change his mind, double emphatic. Jesus' priesthood is forever. And verse 22, so much more, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The Greek word here is tran- that's translated guarantee in the LSB and NASB or guarantor in the ESV. Guarantor, though, really captures the sense of this word. Another way you could translate it is surety. Jesus is the guarantor or the surety of a better covenant. Now, a guarantor or a bondsman is one who pledges his name, property, or influence that a certain thing will be done. A surety is one who agrees to undertake for another who is lacking in ability to discharge his own obligations. For example, Judah was the surety for Benjamin in Genesis 43. He says in 43 verse 9, I myself will be the guarantee for him from my hand you may require him if i do not bring him back to you and set him before you then i shall bear the sin before you all my days the apostle paul placed himself as surety for the slave onesimus in the book of in the book of philemon when he said in verses 18 and 19 if he owes you anything charge that to my account i will repay it aw pink says in like manner christ engaged himself unto the father for his elect saying, charge to my account whatever my people owe thee, and I will fully discharge their debts. Jesus is our surety. Jesus is the priest we need. We need Jesus as our representative before God. We need a guarantee that God's righteous demands are met on our behalf. We need a guarantee that our debt of sin is paid in full, rendering us innocent before a holy God. We need an imputed human righteousness earned by Jesus's perfect life and credited to our account. We need a guarantee that we will have access to our God for all eternity. And Jesus is that guarantee. Jesus's priesthood is confirmed with an oath. His priesthood is divinely confirmed, and he guarantees a better covenant. Isn't he better? Isn't he better? A superior priesthood, a superior covenant, a better covenant guaranteed by a better mediator. The law and the Levitical system, they were impotent to make its worshippers Perfect, But Jesus' perfect priesthood gives New Covenant worshipers hope, knowing that he makes his people acceptable to God. Jesus' defi- divinely confirmed priesthood is the surety of this better covenant, guaranteeing that we will always enjoy New Covenant promises and blessings because of Christ's imputed righteousness to us and his substitutionary death on our behalf. Jesus is the high priest we need. And what benefits, what excellencies, what blessings we do receive through Jesus, our representative. Are you trusting in this priest? Is your confidence based on his work, on his character, on his priesthood? Sisters, let Jesus' guarantee bolster your confidence and draw near to God even today, trusting Jesus as your surety. He's already met covenant requirements on your behalf. He's become a curse for you, and all you receive now is covenant blessings. You receive access to God through him. But even a priest as excellent as this, as excellent as Jesus is, would be ineffectual to secure our eternal salvation if his priesthood ever ended the way the Levitical priest did. It wouldn't even benefit us at all to have a priest as glorious as he is if his ministry was interrupted by death. And this is the line of argumentation the author continues in, verses 23 through 25. Our fourth point teaches us that Jesus is the high priest you need to approach God with confidence because he's a permanent high priest who performs a better ministry. This is verses 23 through 25. Starting in verse 23, And the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus is a glorious and perfect high priest, and praise God, he is permanent. Consider this contrast. The Levitical priests were prevented from continuing in their priesthood because they died. They died. Jesus, on the other hand, even his death could not prevent his ministry. In fact, Jesus' death was his ministry. Jesus, our great high priest, he died as a priest, but he didn't stop being a priest. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He was the priest and the sacrifice. The Levitical priest's deaths, they prevented them from continuing their service, but Jesus's death was his service. His priestly ministry is permanent. Death couldn't even interrupt it because it was powerless over him. Jesus's priesthood is permanent, which means his ministry is permanent. The Levitical priesthood couldn't save the worshipers and Jesus' priesthood, it saves to the uttermost. His ministry is better. Jesus saves completely and he saves forever. And we need a priest like this. We need a priest whose ministry can't be interrupted by his death. We need a priest whose prayers can't be interrupted because we need a salvation that can't be terminated. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Verse 24, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you catch that? This is the major application of everything the preacher has been working toward in his exposition of the significance of Jesus' priesthood. This is it. Because Jesus' priesthood was confirmed with an oath, Because the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, because of the better covenant, which Jesus guarantees, and because Jesus lives forever and holds his priesthood permanently, Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. But have you thought about this? Who... Or what are you being saved from? Certainly, you're being saved from your sin. Me too. We need that. We need to be saved from our sin. But the implication here is that what you need saving from is God himself. God is holy. God's holiness is repulsed by sin and his justice demands a penalty for sin. No one can draw near to God apart from the work of Christ. In order to draw near to God, God's justice must be appeased. And it's through the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross that we are forgiven and saved from the wrath of God against sin. In order to draw near to a holy God, we must be perfectly righteous in our obedience to God's standard. And so Jesus, on our behalf, he kept the law perfectly, earning a righteousness that he credits to our account. God is so holy that even now, As we persistently draw near to God, we continually need an advocate before the Father, the man Jesus Christ. Your sin is so heinous. My sin is so heinous and God is so holy that there will never be a moment on earth that you don't need Jesus's intercession for you before the Father. That's why it is only through Jesus that you can draw near to God and be accepted. But you can be confident that you are accepted the moment you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And you can know that there will never be a day that he will turn you away because Jesus is all you need for eternal salvation. You are saved forever because your high priest lives forever to make intercession for you. You are saved to the uttermost. You are saved all the way and forever because your high priest prays for you. The better ministry of Christ on your behalf is effectual because he lives forever. You can't lose your salvation because he never stops praying. You can always draw near to God through him because he always intercedes to God on your behalf. As you struggle with sin, your high priest who took on flesh and was not ashamed to be called your brother, who knows your frailty and sympathizes with your weaknesses, he prays for you. When you're crushed by grief and by trials, your high priest, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs, is praying for you. When your enemy tempts you, When you despair or doubt, your high priest who overcame temptation and accomplished all righteousness on your behalf, he prays for you. Everything you need to make it all the way to heaven will be provided because the intercession of your high priest ensures it. Did you hear that? Everything you need to make it all the way to heaven will be provided because the intercession of your high priest ensures it. What confidence do we have that our faith will not fail? Jesus is praying for us. What confidence do we have that there is none who can bring a charge against us, none who condemn us before God's throne? Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. What confidence do we have that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? Jesus stands before the Father praying for us. Our high priest, who is qualified for his work work according to his humanity and according to his deity, ensures our continual, eternal access to the Father, we can keep drawing near because our high priest keeps interceding for us. It is fitting to have such a high priest, isn't it? And that's number five in our outline. Number five, Jesus is the high priest we need because he's a consummate high priest who accomplished a better work. Verses 26 through 28, he's better in his person, he's better in his work. He's consummate, which means he's complete in every detail. He possesses every excellency. He's everything we need. Everything. He's the mediator we need. He's the substitute we need. He's the representative we need. He's the sacrifice we need to be right with God. He is a fitting high priest. Verse 26 says, "'For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest.'" holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He is the priest we need. He's ultimately qualified in every single way to stand between, to stand in the gap between God and us. In verse 28, verse 28 says, the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but we have Jesus. How is he better? He's better in every way. He's better in his relationship toward God toward others, and in his person. Before God, he is holy. He's inwardly conformed perfectly to the will of God in every single way. According to his deity, he's inherently holy. According to his humanity, he lived a perfectly righteous life that was acceptable to God. Before man, he's totally innocent. He's totally blameless in every human relationship. He always did what was right. Jesus is the only man who has ever walked the earth that never hurt, offended, tempted, harmed anyone, never harmed another person. As one pastor says, his holiness enabled him to love God with all of his heart and his innocence enabled him to love his neighbor as himself. Do you see why he's the high priest you need? In his person, he's undefiled and separated from sinners. Jesus didn't just come into this world holy and innocent. He lived here 33 years and wasn't contaminated. He was a friend of sinners yet remained undefiled. He was surrounded by corruption and yet was never infected. He was fully human but perfect. Do you see how fitting our priest is? He's our perfect representative. Adam was surrounded surrounded by perfection and sin. Jesus was surrounded by corruption and remained undefiled. Because he always has been and always will be separated from sin, he can stand in our place before God and offer a sacrifice for sins and be accepted. He is exalted above the heavens. Jesus is the high priest you need because he entered directly into the heavenly sanctuary. He has unbroken access to the Father. And Jesus' access guarantees our access because we're united with him. He guarantees our future with God forever. His exaltation is the proof that his life and death was accepted by God and therefore we who have received the imputed righteousness and forgiveness of sins can be confident of also being accepted by God and enjoying fellowship with him forever. He now sits in authority, dignity, and power and ministers in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is the high priest we need. He's the consummate high priest who accomplished a better work. In verses 27 through 28, we see that those high priests, they they offered sacrifices again and again, year after year. Jesus did it once for all. Those high priests had to offer sacrifices first for their own sins. Jesus was holy, innocent, and undefiled. He had no sin to offer sacrifices for. Those high priests offered animals as sacrifices, and Jesus offered himself the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for sin. Verse 27, the law appointed those high priests who were weak, but the oath of God appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. He is the perfect priest. Oh, sisters, how could you want anything else? Who could ever look at on this Jesus, this high priest, and want to return to the old covenant? How could we see his perfections and then attempt to approach God apart from him? Do you understand now the severity of the warnings of Hebrews? How could anyone see this priest, this sacrifice, this covenant, and believe that they need anything else, anything more? Sacrifices? The Eucharist, sacraments, good works? No, nothing. Consider Jesus. Jesus is the priest you need because he is superior, perfect, divinely confirmed, permanent, consummate. He is such a priest. He's of a better order. He brings a better hope. He guarantees a better covenant. He performs a better ministry and he accomplished a better work. Are you trusting in him alone for salvation? Are you putting all of your hope in him only? Today, Draw near to God with confidence because you have this high priest. You have no fear of divine wrath against your sin. Your high priest offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for your sins and granted you full forgiveness. You have no fear of falling short of the perfection God demands. Your holy, innocent, and undefiled high priest accomplished all righteousness on your behalf and has clothed you in his own righteousness so that you can stand unashamed before the Father. You have no fear of failing, of falling away, of one day your status before God changing? Your high priest is perfectly qualified, able to save, and his priesthood is permanent, confirmed with a divine oath. He is the guarantor of your salvation. His intercessions ensure that you will always enjoy access to God for eternity. Draw near to God with confidence through this priest, Jesus Christ. Draw near now and draw near forever because he always lives to make intercession for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the high priest we need. We know that there is only one way to God, and it's through you. Anchor our confidence in you. Fuel our love for you. Grant us strength to obey your word. Sanctify us and prepare us to meet you. And hold us fast until that final day when we see you face to face. Amen.